evidence and answers. Purgatory, is there such a place? Many believe so, but where can I learn about this? Is this scripturally sound doctrine? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zukren. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today's message was taught by Pat and is the fourth in his series regarding the afterlife. He's been covering several different topics, so you won't want to miss any. If you're unable to hear this entire message, all of our broadcasts are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now here's Pat with part four of Questions on the Afterlife, Purgatory. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith in Christ and biblical answers to the challenges Christians face today. We've been going through our series on questions about the afterlife, addressing such issues as can we communicate with the dead? How much do those in heaven know what's going on here upon the earth? Annihilationism, soul sleep, and more. So you can get the whole series on our website at evidenceandanswers.org if you missed any part of this wonderful series. Well, today we're going to be addressing the whole issue of purgatory. After believers die, do they need to be purged or cleansed of their sin before they go to heaven? The doctrine of purgatory teaches that before believers go to heaven, there is a time of purging of their character and of their sin, a time of discipline before they can enter into heaven. Well, do believers go through a time of purging or do they immediately enter into the presence of God? Well, we're going to take a look at that here on Evidence and Answers today. Well, those who believe that there is a time of purging, a time spent in a place called purgatory, where people are purged and cleansed of their sins, basically the teaching is this, that after baptism, the sins committed between baptism and a person's death must be atoned for. Therefore, there is a time of purging or cleansing in a place called purgatory before one enters into heaven. Now, there are three key areas related to the doctrine of purgatory. First, there is a purification that takes place on the earth before death, dealing with a person's character and sin. And the purification involves times of trials and suffering. And third, a person's time in purgatory may be shortened and his pains alleviated by the faithful prayers and good works of those who are still alive. Now, regarding the nature of purgatory, since purgatory is preparation for heaven, only believers go there. The unsaved immediately go to a place of judgment, separated from God, quarantined from God forever in a place called hell. Purgatory involves a time of suffering, and the fire is symbolic of God purifying the imperfections of believers while they're there to prepare them for heaven. Now, how long does someone remain in the stage of purification there in purgatory? The length there is not known, but it is a temporary place where one is cleansed from their sin and their character is refined before they go to heaven. The length of time one spends there is affected by the sins committed in life after baptism and before one physically dies upon the earth. And the severity of those sins that were committed will determine how long that person needs to be purged of those sins there in purgatory. Now, there are several biblical passages people point to in defense of this particular doctrine. One is found in Matthew chapter 5. And in verses 21 through 26, Jesus is telling a story about a lawsuit and the judgment that a judge renders. 
And in verse 25, Jesus says, Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be put into prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So here, many interpret this verse saying, you will not get out until you pay the last penny. So the very last sin that you commit before death, between baptism and death, you will have to atone for, and you will not be released from purgatory until you have paid every last penny or for every last sin that was committed. Another verse that is often quoted is Matthew chapter 12, verse 32. That's when Jesus is talking about the unpardonable sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 32, Jesus says, And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. And many interpret the phrase, in the age to come, referring to the time in purgatory. And the final verse that is often pointed to is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where it speaks of the Bema Seat judgment of the believer, where our works are being tested by the Lord there. And it states here in verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And the imagery there of passing through the fire, several people take to mean purgatory or the time of purging as a believer is purged and cleansed of their sins. So those are three verses that are often pointed to there in defense of the doctrine of purgatory. Other support also comes from the writings of the early church fathers. Early church fathers such as Cyprian and the great Augustine believed in the doctrine of purgatory. So several prominent church fathers believed in this particular doctrine. So those are some of the supports that are used in defense of the doctrine of purgatory, these three Bible passages, and that some of the early church fathers believed and held to this doctrine of purging before one enters into heaven. Now, I believe that the Bible clearly teaches that there is no time of purging for the believer after death. That when one dies upon this earth, if they have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Jesus has atoned and paid for their sins fully and completely. And the believer in Christ goes directly to heaven immediately after death. Here are several reasons why I believe there are several biblical passages that support my position. When Jesus died on the cross, he said in John 19 verse 30, it is finished. Jesus completed the work of redemption and paying for all of our sin there upon the cross. That's why he was able to state, it is finished. Also, in John chapter 17, verse 4, in the high priestly prayer of Jesus, as he's praying to the Father, he said, Father, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. What was the work that Jesus was called to do? To pay and atone for the sins of mankind. Jesus said he had completed that work in John 17, verse 4. If we still have to atone and pay for our sins, then the work of Jesus Christ is not complete. But he stated on the cross, it is finished. In John 17, 4, he said he had completed the work of our salvation and atoning and paying the price for our sin fully. In Hebrews 10, verse 14, it emphatically states, By one sacrifice he has made perfect 
forever those who are being made holy. So those who have trusted in Jesus Christ are, according to this verse, quote, made perfect forever. There is no further purging or refining that is necessary. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 states of Jesus Christ, after he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So Jesus provided full atonement and purification of our sins. The priests in the temple were always standing because the work of purification and atoning for sin was never done. But when Christ completed his work, Hebrews 1.3 says, he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down because his work of atoning for our sins and purifying us from our sins was completed. 1 John 1.7 says, if we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in verse 7 says, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. The term all there in the Greek is referring to all sin, past, present, and future. The blood of Christ covers and atones and pays the price for all of a believer's sin, past, present, and future. Romans 8.1 says this, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus took care of the payment of our sins by his work of salvation on the cross. There's no more purging or price that needs to be paid by the believer. Christ paid it all. Romans chapter 5 verse 10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have already been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. We have been made right and can stand before God fully reconciled because Christ has paid the price for our sins. So the teaching that after death our sins must be atoned for further, there must be a further purging that takes place, rejects the sufficiency of the cross of Jesus Christ, that he paid for our sins in full. Also, that teaching would contradict the immediacy of heaven and hell as taught in the Bible. Throughout the Bible, when a believer dies, they immediately go to be with the Lord, and those who have rejected Christ immediately are separated from God forever in hell. Luke chapter 16, the famous story of Lazarus and the rich man. When Lazarus, the poor beggar, died, he went immediately to heaven. He didn't go to an intermediate place to be purged of his sins. The rich man, on the other hand, immediately went to hell and was suffering in hell. 2 Corinthians 5.8, Paul states, To be absent from the body is to be present the Lord. He doesn't talk about any intermediate time there of cleansing or purging. Right away to be absent from the body for the believer is to be in the presence of the Lord. In Luke chapter 23, in verse 43, if you remember the thief on the cross, there was one who repented and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to that thief on the cross, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The thief immediately went to heaven with Jesus Christ. There was no intermediate stage of purging or cleansing from his sin. If anyone would have needed cleansing or purging from their sin, if there was such a thing, it would have been this thief on the cross. But Jesus says to him, this day you'll be with me forever in paradise. He went immediately to heaven. Paul states in Philippians 1.23, 
He says that he wished to depart and be with Christ, which is much, much better. If he had to go to a place of suffering to be purged from sin, it wouldn't be much, much better. But because he was immediately in the presence of the Lord, and remember, Paul was a murderer. He persecuted the church. And so if there was someone who needed to be purged of their sin, it would have been Paul. But he stated that to depart and be with Christ is much, much better because he knew he would go immediately into the presence of Christ. Not only Paul, but every believer in Jesus Christ. So our status before God is not based on our works, but on the work of Jesus Christ, the perfect work of Jesus Christ, not our good lives or our good works. And since Christ has perfect standing before God and he has completed the work on the cross, he has imputed his righteousness or given us his righteousness through his grace. And because he is in right standing with God and he has given to us his righteousness, we are covered in his righteousness. We are then in right standing with God the day we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. What a wonderful and joyful blessing we have to know that we are reconciled and we stand righteous before God. Not because of anything we've done. If it was based on things we've done, there's no way we could stand before a righteous and holy God. But it's because of the work that Christ has done, which is perfect, which is accepted by God, and it is complete. It is based on Christ and Christ alone. We stand righteous before God. And a believer, after they die, can have the assurance and joy of knowing they go right to be in the presence of the Lord. Now let's address some of those scriptures that people use in support of the doctrine of purging before one goes to heaven. Matthew 5, 26 speaks of a judge who throws a man in prison and Jesus says, truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Well, if you look at the context of the verse there, Jesus is not speaking of a spiritual prison after death, but of a physical prison. That's what he's illustrating, a physical prison before death. To say that sins need to be paid for contradicts the previous passages that I read in John and Hebrews and many other passages of the New Testament there. Jesus is talking about an earthly judicial system. And the point he's illustrating there is that if you commit a crime and you are guilty and you are accused, then you'll go to jail and you'll pay the penalty for your crime. And you'll not get out until you've atoned for all that you have stolen. Well, when it comes to our sin, Jesus Christ has paid that penalty. He has paid every last penny of sin that has been paid for. So if you want to use this illustration, yes, the man goes to jail and will not get out until he's paid the last penny, but someone comes along and pays that last penny, pays that fine in total for him. Well, then that man's crime will be forgiven and he'll be released from prison. So yes, we will pay every last penny for our sin, but Christ has paid it all. Therefore, there is not another time of purging that is needed. Every last penny of our sin has been paid by Jesus Christ. Now, Matthew 12, 32 speaks of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, and whoever speaks a word against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Jesus not inferring that sins can be forgiven in another age, but the impossibility of forgiveness if one blasphemes the Holy Spirit. The age to come refers to the day of the Lord when God judges at the resurrection of the dead there. And remember, this passage here, Jesus is not addressing the saved, the believers in Christ. He is addressing the Pharisees 
who were attributing his miracles to the power of the devil. The Pharisees were not saved, and that's to whom Jesus is addressing this and saying, if you can look at me and say, the miracles that I do are from the devil himself, well, then really there's no hope for your redemption. You have rejected the Son of God, and therefore you cannot be forgiven ever in this age or in the age to come at the resurrection and the judgment. There's no hope of salvation for you. If your heart is this hard and that you're not even to admit or acknowledge the miracles that I do come from the Father, if these undeniable miracles you're saying are from the devil, well, there's no hope of redemption for a heart that has been hardened this much. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 speaks of the Bema Seat judgment when believers stand before Christ and we are judged not for whether we are saved or not, but upon our works. What kind of reward are we going to receive? And it is not the believer that passes through the fire. It is the believer's works that pass through the fire here. In verse 13 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writes, Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. So it is the good works of the believers that will be tested. It is the works that will go through the fire, not the believer. And Paul says, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. It is the believer's work that will be burned up, and it is our works that will be tested by the Lord. And what makes it through the judgment of Christ, that will be our eternal reward forever. So the fire here does not purge our soul. The fire here tests our works. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, and in chapter 6, verse 11, the believer is already stated as one who is sanctified in Christ, set apart in Christ, so they need no further kind of cleansing or purging. Now, on a related note, should we be praying for the dead? Well, according to this passage, our eternal destiny is determined upon the day we go to meet the Lord. So, when the body physically dies, our eternal state is determined by the decision we made for Christ before our death. And those who have rejected Jesus Christ are eternally separated from Him in hell. And no matter how much we may pray for them, that's not going to change their eternal status. And we don't need to pray for those who are already in heaven in the very presence of the Lord. They're not in an intermediate place called purgatory, suffering or paying or further atoning for their sins. They're already in the presence of the Lord. So those who are in heaven, we don't need to be praying for them. They're already in paradise, nor should we be praying to them. Nowhere in Scripture does it teach that we are to pray to the believers who are in heaven with the Lord. They are not the ones who are the mediators, and they are not the ones who answer our prayers. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who alone is our mediator, and He is the one who answers our prayers according to His will. And what a great privilege we have. We get to go directly right to the king himself. We don't have to go through an intermediate. We have full access to the king, Jesus Christ himself. First Timothy 2 verse 5 says, For there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There is no other mediator, no other saint who has gone before us that we must appeal to. There is one mediator, and that's Jesus Christ himself.
Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, to the very throne of God, to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can go with confidence into the very throne room of God through prayer, directly to Jesus Christ, because we stand cleansed and pure before God And it's the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Christ that allows us to do this. So therefore, we do not need any other mediator to mediate between us and Christ. We can go directly to the King, to Jesus Christ. That's the privilege every believer has in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 18 says, For through Him, that's Jesus Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We can appeal directly to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. So what a great and tremendous promise and privilege every believer has who has trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That at death, they go immediately to heaven in the presence of God. There's no intermediate state where one must suffer some more and be purged and cleansed of the sins that were committed here upon the earth. That price has been completely paid by the perfect work of Jesus Christ. Therefore, the tremendous joy every believer has and the promise that we can hold on to is that at death we go to heaven to be in the very presence of God. And that when we go to prayer now, we have direct access to the King, that we can come to the throne room of God through Jesus Christ and the work that He has done upon the cross allows us then to enter into the very presence of God and to make our prayers directly to Him because we can have a relationship directly with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What a tremendous promise. What a tremendous truth for every believer in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. I hope the things that we study today and the promises that you learn will inspire you to live for Jesus Christ each and every day. If you missed any part of this series, questions about the afterlife, go to our website, evidenceandanswers.org, and you can find the entire series where we address issues like annihilationism, soul sleep, can we communicate with the dead, how much do those in heaven know about what's going on on earth, and a whole lot more. So visit our site at evidenceandanswers.org, and we'll see you again here on Evidence and Answers. For joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoy Pat's show today. If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. We have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles, books, and additional audio for you to listen to or download. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, State Farm Agent Sue Ann Liu. For all your insurance needs, home, auto, or life, contact Sue Ann Liu at sueannliu.com or give her a call. That number in Hawaii is area code 808-567-6116. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers.